Hello and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. I am your host, Eric Tenkar, your bartender in the OSR, your main proprietor at the Tenkar's Tavern blog. Now, when I look at the DMG from the player's perspective, it's like the old Sears Roebuck catalog. You know, I, I was a child of the 70s, and I remember getting the Sears catalog and going right to the... Uh, the games and toys section, and it was like my Santa's wish list, more so than any of the commercials on TV. Okay. Yes. As I, as I got to like 10 or 11, I guess I, I probably also went to the lingerie section and looked at women in bras because, you know, it's what kids do, especially, especially back then. But, uh, yeah, that Sears catalog was something special. Now, when I became a D&D player, that was something special, too. The DMG was like your Sears Roebuck catalog. You went through it, and you flipped around, and you're like, oh, I want a deck of many things. I want wings of flying. I want, I want, I want. Until you got to table... Uh, Roman numeral 3E. And this is the uh, special table. And it's special because it's artifacts and relics. And this is where I think um, Gary jumped the shark. Because quite simply, this is like, this, there are 29 items that are, for all intents and purposes, the one ring. You know, from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship, and all that stuff. You have twenty nine relics, and and now and now Gary knows that players are going to read this book. And how does he know that players are going to read this book? Because he, although, listen, everything has its own uh, powers. Acts of the Dwarves Lords. Legend relates that the greatest dwarf who ever lived, the first dwarven king, forged its weapon of volcanic fires with the aid of a patron god. It passed from dwarven monarch to dwarven monarch until it was lost in the invoked devastation centuries gone. Now, not, not for nothing. If you are naming what the uh, devastation was, the cataclysm, couldn't you have uh, named the name of the patron god? But in any case... Rumors persist of its appearance, of the appearance of the axe from time to time in various places, but it supposedly bears a curse. The blade of the axe is equal to a sword of sharpness, and it is backed by a head equal to a plus three hammer. The handle extends or contracts upon command to equal battle or hand axe for throwing, and the axe will return 30 feet to its thrower. The possessor has dwarven abilities of infravision, trap detection, etc., Double the abilities if a dwarf. Possessor's lifespan is 50% longer than normal, but if he or she, he or she becomes more dwarf-like with time, and eventually he or she exactly resembles one. And then it says it has the following additional powers or effects. Two from table one, one from table two, one from table three, one from table four, one from table five, one from table six. Oi! But it's not just that. So again, like I said, the players are expected that they're going to I guess, cheat. So he doesn't want you to 
allow you to play cheat. That's why I don't have to find powers. Because of the unique nature of each artifact and relic, their powers are only partially described. You, the dungeon master, must at least decide what the major powers of each item are to be. This prevents players from gaining any knowledge of these items, even if they happen to own or read a copy of this volume. And it also makes each artifact and relic distinct from campaign to campaign. Here's my issue with artifacts and relics. They are not just game changes, they are potentially campaign changes. I just watched, literally, right before recording this, Avengers Infinity War. And, yeah, Thanos put together a relic. The gauntlet. Infinity gauntlet. And there he goes, and he destroys half the life in the universe. I'm sure that gets fixed later, but... In any case, that's the type of stuff that you're adding to your campaign. It's the one fucking ring. And it's great as a plot device, but it's not great as an item that the players are going to want to hold on to. Additionally, here's the other issue with magic of such high power like artifacts and relics. You give it to one player. You allow one player to have one. They all want it. Seriously. You'll... you'll Never hear the end of it if one player is running around and, you know, they have even something relatively relatively minor. It's a cup and talisman of Al Akbar. And uh, then in the end, everybody wants one. I want my crown of might. I want my hand of Vecna. Sure, I'll cut off my arm. I always wanted to put in the head of Vecna. Cut off your head. Oh, geez, now I get to play Vecna with your body because I'm the DM and you're not playing fucking Vecna. It really... He doesn't... Gary does not... He spends about nine or ten pages describing all these artifacts and you get pretty much no advice as a DM how to run it. Oh, well, if the player refuses to risk his or her character when an item is discovered, preferring to allow some hireling or henchman to hazard the trial and error process necessary, the character given the item or order to determine the powers and effects will certainly do one of the following things. Yada, yada, yada. The character is evil. He or she will destroy or at least escape from the character, player character. Once the artifact of relics powers are, are known, if they are neutral, uh, they will use the powers of the artifact or relic to dominate and control his or her former employer. If they are good, they will realize that his or her employer or master or mistress acted in a most evil faction by giving and forcing upon them the relic. So the character will, will use every while to escape the player character and take the item along to give to his religious leaders or other suzerain. No. Listen, first of my players, I would tell them flat, if, if you give it to the MP, your NPC, you know, your, your henchmen, they're keeping it. But no, I mean, think about it. Think what you're putting into your campaign with this. And I, listen, let's be honest. Well, if you were gaming in the, I don't know, the early 80s, 
you were doing AD&D, your campaigns always had fucking artifacts because they were in the book. If it's in the book, it's meant to be used, right? And not only that, if it was in the book and meant to be used, it meant that if you put an artifact in, you were supposed to, A, write the abilities into your DMG, and then, once the uh, item was out there, cross it off! Put a line through it. Can't come up again randomly. Think about that. There's a random chart to determine what artifact you could find. Oh, yeah, there's an artifact in this room. I'm going to roll randomly. Think about that. Something that important, you should be choosing the powers. You should be choosing the item. And you should make sure it's tailored to your party, uh, both pro and con. I don't know. I, I I look back, and a lot of things I see, I I don't see in the same innocent eyes I used to have. So be it. Sorry, Gary. I, I don't love everything that you put together. At least not now. When I was younger, sure. It was all magical. It was all, ooh, ooh, ooh. But now, a lot of that magic is uh, gone. I guess I got jaded eyes when it comes to this. But yeah, man. Artifacts and relics are campaign killers. They're too powerful. And the players run over everything. All the artifact actually killed the campaign. Right? You know, one or the other. But I will wind up talking about, on a later podcast, Avengers Infinity Wars, because there's a lot you can take from that. And, and I think that in that case, the artifact being in the hands of the big bad and him trying to assemble it completely, that, like the Rise of Seven Parts, that is certainly something that fits the game, because the players aren't going to be using that artifact, are they? Looking to destroy it or prevent it from even being put together. Yeah. All right, folks. On that note, be safe. Be healthy. God bless. Roll your dice well. I will talk with you all and possibly Jason Hobbs. How's that for a teaser? Uh, tomorrow. All right, folks. Later, later. <laughs>